Welcome to Unshackled Leadership, a lantern for Black women. This program is produced to help women of color in leadership move from their zone of excellence to their zone of genius by eliminating any false upper limits caused by race, gender, culture, or their own inner critic. This program is dedicated to the legacy of Harriet Tubman, who held a lantern in the dark for all of us. I'm your host, ICF Certified Executive Leadership Coach, Joya Jefferson Murray. Thanks for joining me. Today we're going to talk about money. Not just your money, but money from a bank. So many of us want to make that move from corporate jobs to becoming an entrepreneur, but we need money to do it. We need capital to start the business, and we need capital to have money in reserves as the business grows. Often, we can come up with the money from our personal savings, but more often than not, it comes from a banking institution. But history has proven that Black people dealing with banks is not viable. For Black loan seekers, the denial rate in 2020 was 18% as opposed to 6% for white people. It's been a hard road for black people to get money from a bank. But you know, this has not always been true because before the 1920s, black people could go to black-owned banks. Now, I found this compelling article written by the Brookings Institution. It's a respected think tank in Washington, D.C. According to the article... The removal, and I'm quoting from the article, the removal of Africans from their rich commercial environments and kingdoms, including Ghana and Mali, through the slave trade between the 14th and 18th centuries, did not destroy Black people's proclivity for business and trade. Since the time when Black people in America secured the right to earn capital for their labor following the emancipation in the 1860s, They have faced systematic financial discrimination. The article goes on to say, and feed. Over a century ago, racism and segregation required Black people to pool their resources to support each other, and Black-owned banks played a vital role. On October 17, 1888, Capital Savings Bank in Washington, D.C. became the first bank organized and operated by African Americans. The article says, within four years of opening, the bank deposits had grown to over $300,000. Now, you and I both know that was a lot of money in 1888. So between the end of Reconstruction and the beginning of the Great Depression, There were over 130 Black-owned banks, and they provided capital to entrepreneurs, business people, and prospective homeowners in the African-American community. Now, by the time the United States hits the 1920s, the article says, they decided to take over banking, and the government decided to take over the whole lending institution thing, and they formed something called the Homeowners Loan Corporation, and they refinanced homes in the United States from 1920 to 1936. So this HOL 
then created a color-coded map in 200 cities to better understand all of their risk and eliminate Black people from the ability to borrow from them, which we all know now is called redlining. So during the seven years between 1983 to 1989, the number of Black-owned banks declined by 22 and has not come back to its normal number or its previous number. So I want to thank Brookings for this amazing research and introduce you to our guest today because she knows everything about this brutal history and has formed a company to counter it. Our guest is a self-identified as someone who helps business owners get approvals for business term loans and lines of credit. She doesn't care if you have bad credit. She's going to help you or she's going to attempt to help you. Please allow me to welcome Portia Brooks, a partner at LendPick, a company that helps business owners get business loans across this country. Welcome to Unshackled Leadership, a lantern for Black women, Portia. Joya, I love it. Uh, hello, everyone. Thank you, Joy, for having me. Um, I that was what an introduction, you know, into our history, into what you know I could possibly help our community with. But I think there's a lot for us to dive into. So I am very excited here. Oh, this is great. So I first want to start off with telling us what is a term loan and a line of credit. It should be obvious, but please explain that. Absolutely. Okay. So when it comes to business financing, generally speaking, there's a lot of different business programs out there. One of the two that we've categorized, there's about nine that we've categorized. One of the two would be term loans and lines of credit. And these are cash lines of credit and both on the business side. And one meeting on the business side that it doesn't show up on your, you're using your EIN. You're not using your social security. It doesn't show up on your personal credit. You're more so going through your business credit to receive these term loans as well as these lines of credit. So with the term loan, it's more so a, it's a long-term length that, you know, so it's more so how long you have to pay back that loan. So now when you have a loan that's potentially, let's say five years or seven years or 10 years, it allows you to have a, a smaller inst monthly installment payment so that it's not going to hurt the cash flow of your business. And so these are more so term loans. They are termed out at a longer term length. When it comes to lines of credit, these are revolving cash, kind of like business credit cards. They're revolving you know, cash lines. It's not something that you're supposed to have out for long periods of time. So it's not like a term loan where you're taking it out seven years or 10 years. These are more so where you have a need, uh, an immediate need for capital, and you kind of can replace that you know, in your line of credit pretty, fairly quickly. So you may have payroll or you may have um, just some type of emergency, but you can replace that within a couple of months. With, the, with lines of credit, you're actually supposed to pay those down on a yearly basis. So you may be able to pay an interest only for 12 months, but you must pay that down with banks within, they review it for the most part on a yearly basis to make sure that you're using it correctly. And correctly is not having it out for a long period of time, but it is revolving. So you're constant, once you use it, it's like a credit card. So once you use it, you know, you pay it back, the money is there for you to use again. Unlike a loan, it's just a one-time use. Right. So if all of the history I just told us about is true, 
How do you maneuver it to make it successful to your clients? So that's loaded, you know, um, it's, it's simplified in a sense where my job is to connect business owners with lenders that will actually approve them. And that's the simplified version. And how we do this is we go out to banks, whether that's credit unions, whether, whether that's CDFIs or local, regional, national institutions, banking institutions or online lenders. There are a lot of different types of institutions out there that provide money to the community. We go out to these institutions and we find out what their underwriting guidelines are. And so we want to know what that minimum credit score or what's going to be an automatic decline when you see, you know, something on the credit report or what's the minimum revenue that a business has to have or what time in business. Do you do startups? Do you not do startups? So there's a lot of information that we have to know from our lenders in order to now when we speak with a business owner to know where we can match them, where can we connect you to? So now we have lenders all across the USA. And once we speak to a business owner, we're collecting their information so that we literally can match them with one of our lenders in a database and just basically see, okay, which lenders qualifications do you match? So that's a lot more efficient than me, business owner. I've been in business 23 years. For me, business owner, to walk up to Bank of America and say, I need a line of credit. I need a a term loan. Exactly. And it's funny that you should say that because there are so many people that think that they can just go to Bank of America or to their local, because what happens is we all bank with these large national banks. And we think that we can just kind of walk in there and say like, well, one, I'm starting a business or I have a business and I need money. These large national banks actually deny about 86% of loans. And this is not just for black the black community, this is for everyone. So they deny about 86% of business loan applications that come to them. You have to have the most immaculate background in order to receive a loan with you know, Bank of America or a line of credit with Bank of America. So we're talking about you have to want to be an established business. And a lot of times you're talking about at least two years or three years in business and you have to be cash flow positive. And so you have to be making a certain amount of money, depositing that money with that, you know, with that bank for the most part, you know, if it's a national bank, they want to see that. But making a certain amount of money and also your credit has to be, you know, superb in order to receive that line of credit, whether it's a business line of credit. Some of these banks offer personal lines of credit, too. But we're you know, speaking on the business side. So whether it's a business line of credit or a business term loan, you just have to in order to go to the national banks, you have to really you have to be so far above average in you know, your business that it's almost nearly impossible for the average individual. And I do know because I bank with Bank of America, you have to be a Bank of America customer for a minimum of two years Hmm. before they'll even consider giving you a loan. So there's that also. You said your own personal credit, but earlier you said it would be based on your EIN, not your personal credit. What, tell me the difference there. Well, absolutely. So now- The idea is that a business loan or a business line of credit is not going to show up on your personal credit report. So a lot of times it's more so through your EIN. So it's going to show up on your business. That's your EIN just represents your your business credit, right? And so your it's like your business social security number. So that's more so how they're going to give you the loan. It's going to be through your business through that EIN. However, when a business when a when a bank or a lender goes to underwrite your file to see if you're qualified, 
for the most part, they're always going to look at your personal credit as well. So you have your personal credit, you have your business credit. And they're going to still see, well, how does this person pay their debts? You know, how how's their credit, you know, credit history with over the last 10 years with all their other creditors? Your business debt, for the most part, there are some types of loans that will only look at your business credit, but it's very rare. If you want a term loan, if you want a line of credit, for the most part, all lenders are going to take into account not just your business credit, but also your personal credit. Your personal credit. Let's just say I want a loan from the bank and you have found the great bank for me and they ask for collateral. Can you explain what collateral is? Yes. So it's so when you have when you're asked to bring collateral to the table, it's more so you're asking do you have the bank is asking do you have any type of assets that you can secure this loan with so just in case you default what can i take from you <laughs> they can go get cover, that collateral yes, <laughs> to cover this loan right and so a lot of times what banks and lenders want to see is real estate real estate is the best type of collateral that you can have to bring to the table to secure a loan with and to, and basically what you're doing is reducing the lender's risk so now you don't necessarily have to come to the table with collateral. A lot of times when with businesses, business owners, everybody knows about the SBA. SBA is a very popular program, right? And so the SBA actually requires- An SBA for the audience, I'm sure everybody oh, I'm knows, sorry. but yeah. it's Small yeah. Business Administration. Correct. Yes. And so this is, this is basically a program through the government that allows more business owners to achieve lending and funding. Now they're not actually giving out the program, but what they're, you're giving out the money, but what they're doing is they're telling banks and lenders across the US that you know if you give out the public if you give the public money we'll make sure that if they default we'll give you a percentage of that money back so we're going to give you that 75% or 80% of that loan back however we have rules to this and in order for us to do this you have to make sure that you, if that's if this person has collateral you must collect that collateral you must secure this loan with that collateral because we want to make sure that if they default we take their stuff before we give you the government stuff you know, okay. and same thing with a lender. A lender just if even if it's not through the SBA, if it's a conventional loan through the lender's own money, the lender wants to make sure that you know before I basically have to claim this as a loss, I'm going to try to take something you know from you um, that mm-hmm. to cover the default that you know you've encountered. Okay. So now I want to go to what sort of thing is a collateral? Is that your what? So. When we're talking collateral, we are talking, again, something to secure the loan with, some type of asset. And now there are different, there's different types of collateral that lenders will accept. So for the most part, everyone accepts real estate. Real estate's the best type of collateral that you can bring to the table. There's also inventory. There's also equipment. And some lenders will take accounts receivable. Like if you do have, for instance, services that you've provided to clients already, and you're waiting for them to pay you. Like, all right, it's been 30 days, it's been 60 days, but you have an outstanding invoice. Some lenders will use that outstanding invoice as collateral because they know that money's coming to you. So that can secure a loan as well. But you're not, it's, it's not more so, well, I have a house or I have a truck, you know, and I want to use this as collateral. So are you gonna give me 100% of what I have? It's like, no, that's not normally the case. It is going to be a percentage of the collateral that you have that you can basically, that they can use, or you can be approved for up to a percent of what that collateral is worth. 
tell me what you mean about up to, not up to 100%. Let's just say my condo is worth $650,000, okay? And then we say, right now, I still owe $400,000 on it. What What is the collateral on that? Of course. So let me actually... My I mean, you can get broad broke. numbers. It doesn't have to be... I was actually just, my my battery is going to, I wanted to plug in. Can I plug in my charger? Yeah, go ahead. So let's begin that question again. You said that there the banks won't give me 100% of my collateral if it's like my home. Um, we could say my home is worth $650,000 and I still owe $400,000 on it. I've been in it a few years. How does a bank calculate how much collateral I can get against my home? So it's normally they have a, a set percentage. It may be 80% of the equity you have in your home that they'll use. So that's 80% of the $200,000 I've already paid. Correct. Exactly. Yes. And now there's different ways that you can use collateral. One is you're going for some type of cash loan and you're using the collateral to secure that loan. So, or you're going, let me just, let me clarify this. There's two different ways that you can go for a loan using collateral. One you may have that piece of collateral and you're saying like, you may have a truck, for example, or it could be a house. And you're saying, okay, um, lender, I have a, I have this house or I have a truck, I need cash. And now that lender is going to see exactly what type of equity you have in that home. Nothing, nothing really, there are not a lot of other qualifications that you need when you're using just a piece of collateral. Like I have this piece of collateral, I want cash from this collateral. I said, okay, well, I'll give you up to 60% or 70% or 80% of the value in that piece of collateral, the value in the equity that you have in the house or the equity that you have, um, how much your truck is worth, the value of it. Or it could be where you're going for a loan. And and how much your truck is worth with depreciation. Correct. Not how much you paid for it. Correct. Exactly. What is it worth? If you've owned it three years, it's not worth what you paid for it. Exactly. Okay. It has depreciated and now it's more so what is the current value at this time after depreciation? And now with that, it'd be potentially up to 80%. It could be 60%. It does depend on the lender. But there's also the idea of when we jump back into SBA loans, an SBA loan, you're not saying, okay, I have a house that's worth you know, 100K or has 100K in equity. Can I get 100K now? The idea with the SBA is it's not just the house that's going to determine the qualification. It's, a, it's your credit. It's as well as, you know, your revenue. There's a lot that comes into play. The The collateral is just going to secure the loan. I got it. Yeah. I got it. I got it. So if you're going to start a business, will the banks also look at how much you have in your personal savings? Yes, absolutely. So now when it comes to startup businesses, there are three things, three to four things that you must come to the table with. And now you have to have experience for that startup business, right? Like, or you have to have experience in in owning a business, running a business, or just in that industry that you're trying to start or bring on somebody who has that experience. That's one. 
Two, you do have to have outside income. So the idea of people saying, well, I'm going to quit my job, you know, yesterday and I'm starting a business, you know, tomorrow. And it's like, well, not really. You, the bank wants to make sure that you have enough money to maintain those loan payments up until your business picks up and can do it for you. That's true. So don't quit your job. Don't quit your job. No. <laughs> and not until, you know, you're up and going. Yeah. And so now, and then also you're going to have to, of course, have a business plan, some type, you know, something that shows, you know, you have a plan, you know what you're doing. That business plan is going to come with projections. So like how much money you expect your business to do on a monthly basis over the next two years and how much, what are your expenses going to be? You have to have these things mapped out. And as far as savings go, of course, a lender is going to want to make sure that you have money, you know, Basically, you have liquidity, some type of liquidity. You have something that's a that's a just in case your business tanks, doesn't do well, or doesn't pick up as fast as you want, that you're able to make sure that you have those payments or you're able to cover emergencies. With every bank, it's different. With every lender, it's different. But they do want to see that you have something. And it, so it could be you know, maybe 10% or maybe it's six months of, of loan payments that you have in a bank. It could be something you know, as simple as that. So we're going to talk now a little bit about starting a business, not just with the bank loans. How much money should I have on hand in general? I'm not a manufacturer. Let's just say I'm going to start a business that's not manufacturing. How much money do you think someone would have on hand? Some people say two months, six months, whatever. How much would you advise people to have on hand before they start their business or as they're getting started? Well... Some people go into it like with zero dollars because you have very little overhead. So it's and you can bring in money, you know, quickly. And if you don't have it, just really depends on the two types of businesses. If you have a business that has a lot of overhead, then, of course, you need to come to the table to be able to cover that overhead immediately and be able to, you know, get those get the equipment or get whatever tools that you need to start the business. So you, you'll have to come to the table with whatever that looks like. And then as far as to keep your business going, I would advise what the banks advise more so to have at least six or 12 months of expenses in the bank, but that can look different for every type of business. So it really is, you have to understand what your monthly expenses are going to be and then be able to say, okay, I should probably have six months of expenses or, you know, six months of, or 12 months of expenses in the bank, you know, to keep going. But again, it just more so depends because if you have a business that has overhead or you must have employees, you want to make sure that once you hire someone, you don't have to fire them two months later. You can keep your business right. going. That's good advice. So this is great advice. So please tell us how you came to this. I know that you, in your in your bio, you said, I watched The Wolf of Wall Street. And after I was already working with one of those wolves. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, it's an interesting story, actually. So I, I previously did social work. And I decided that I wanted to change up careers, do something that, you know, potentially like just kind of made me more money to be very, you know, um, like Frank. And so with that, I jumped into sales and I started with and I had no idea about finance when I jumped into my first sales job, you know, in finance. And we were offering merchant cash advances, which are high interest business loans to individuals. Now, when I got in, I didn't know anything about the business and I had no idea that one of the individuals who worked with Jordan Belfort um, on the Wolf of Wall Street, you know, also 
held this, like, you know, worked at this, uh, this business. And so with that, I, you know, I more so, I dove in, there was, it was a, just so much competition in that space. You know, it's just a, it's a young male environment and all they care about is ringing a gong every time they make a deal. And, you know, like, ah, like, you know, sold one, sold one, sold one, sold one. It's a very fast paced environment. And so, you know, with that, I did actually become a top salesperson in three months amongst, of, you know, literally being the only female in the office. And, but that was more so I had a different approach to business lending and to sales. I actually cared about the client. I I'm come from a social work environment. And so now when clients had questions, I wanted to get those answers for them. So I would go around to different departments in the office and I would find out different answers. And soon enough, I just kind of learned every department, you know, at the office, not purposely, but trying to just be the best representative that I could for my clients. And then they they asked me if they wanted to spearhead a banking department for them because they saw that I wasn't really into the, the, the high interest loans. I saw what it did to certain companies. Certain companies could afford it and then certain others couldn't. They would call me crying. Like, you know, um, I, I took this and it wasn't with me, but, you know, like I took A, B, and C. I can't afford it. My business is tanking. And then my heart would like sink. And I'm like, oh, what can I what can I do for you? Um, you know, and so I, I started trying to get individuals bank loans and the um, partners of the company saw that. And so they basically wanted to start a banking department. I spearheaded it. I did it for about six months, making connections in the banking industry and then COVID hit. And so, um, yeah, and it was kind of like, since nobody was being paid anyway, I decided that, you know what, I'm just going to jump out <laughs> and do it. Eat. And do, and do own your thing. own thing. <laughs> wow. And so you've been doing your own thing. And what has been, would you say that it'll get better for people who can't get a bank loan with with brokers like you? Or is the system really too rigged? So I think I think in terms there's a there's a couple of different factors there. In terms of generally speaking, there are term loans out there that people can get with bad credit because credit for the most part is what holds individuals back. So it's, it's going to be either credit or it's going to be potentially you don't have revenue. So the idea coming back to that savings question that you asked before, like, you know, how much savings should you have? Actually, if you're starting a certain type of project for a term loan, you want to, if it's an SBA, for example, the SBA is going to say that you have to come to the table with, tw as a startup, 20% of that project. So technically, you you know, you, you have to have at least 20%, depending on the type of loan that you're going with, and you have to invest that into your own business. So the idea of it being rigged is like, there are a lot of Black individuals, for example, that don't have savings can't get access, you know, to, to the initial funds necessary to get started on a business. And then also we have the worst, and this is just average in America, but we have the worst average credit score as a demographic in America. And so now- Why do you think with that those is? I mean, I know it's true. I would love to hear from a, a, a finance expert why that is. We have such bad credit scores. 
I, you know what? I think it goes beyond like a finance finance expert. I think it's it really goes back to just our history in this country. Um, I think there's a lot of cards that are just against us as a people and have been. And there's so many holes that we're trying to climb out of as a people that we've just, we just have setbacks and credit just happens to be one of them because, you know, we, and from what you spoke about, you know, with banking and just coming, coming out of that. So now talking about Tulsa, Tulsa, Oklahoma and having things burned down from us and having things taken from us, like there's, the crack epidemic that that swept you know American cities. There's so much that yeah, yeah, that we had to deal with as a people and to overcome and then to go for and then once you're talking about like the redlining and how yeah things people didn't want to lend us money at certain points and so black people understood that we understood that we didn't have certain opportunities when we went into banks we were looked at a certain way there was bias against us we couldn't get this we couldn't get that. And so we do have an idea that we don't like, I believe since we can't, like once a lot of times you feel that you can't, people will say, well, I don't need it. And then we started having the idea where we don't need credit. Credit, you know, is bad. Debt is bad. Um, And, but probably more so just psychologically to just keep like, keep us with a positive attitude or, you know, not uh, allow us to really get down in the dumps about not being able to get, we're just like, well, we don't need it. Okay, great. And so we don't try to build credit. Um, and then at the same time, because we, we're we just not, we're not educated in credit. A lot of times we do know that from, we a lot of us, we come from, you know, poor communities. That's really like the Black America has, we were set up a lot of times in poor communities and we come out of those poor communities one by one, you know, over generations. Exactly. And so, yeah. So with that, it's like, we don't have the funds to kind of keep up with certain lifestyles that the rest of America is right. living, right. but we want to live those lifestyles. I, I really enjoy doing the research for our interview. And I found this stat that I found staggering. And it relates to what we're talking about now. The average income for a white family in the United States, the average, now there's outliers, much more, much less, but the average is $144,000 a year. The average income for the black family, same number of children, same age of the parents, same age of the children, is $47,000 a year. One forty-four. To 47. I found that so staggering. I went looking for it in three different places and they all said the same thing. Maybe it was 145 and 140, you know, 50, but it was really that kind of disparity between the incomes. And then when you add the pressure in our country to prove your value by what you own, by what you wear, how you get your hair cut, what you drive, when you're only making $47,000 a year on average, you actually can't afford to be in America. So you have credit card debt and they give it to you, you can't pay the bill, but you get to look cute. And I know as, an, as a leadership coach, I am constantly, not constantly, I often have to help clients and my clients are already black women in executive seats. 
understand the perspective of the external. That is not your value. Your car is not your value. Your neighborhood is not your value. Of course, you want your kids to be safe. And of course, you want them to go to the best schools, which is probably going to be your biggest expense where you live. But $300 a month on your hair may not be the best use of money if what you want to do is accumulate wealth to stop investing in things that depreciate. And so I just got on my soapbox about it. What do you say about what I just said? <laughs> um, I think you're right. And I I think it it's it's kind of sad because we're when we talk about businesses, I'll jump into another statistic that's related. When we talk about, you know, kind of getting access to wealth, one, there's a few different ways to get access to wealth, you know, in America. A lot of it's through real estate. It could be through owning a business and, you know, investing. Those are like a, the main three ways to kind of get access to wealth. And when it comes to owning real estate, we've been knocked out that box, you know, um, time and time again. And so it's more so now that we're trying to jump back in, own rental properties, build up, but we're like last, you know, in the race. When it comes to owning a business, we almost were last at that too. There's 33 million businesses in America. 3 million of those are black owned. Out of those 3 million black owned businesses, there's 135,000 that have employees. That means most black owned businesses literally just one individual working for themselves. And so they're not scaling. So we're not mm -hmm. scaling in the, you know, in the arena of just kind of being a, a business mogul. Right. Um, and just as far as investing, we don't know how to do it. We don't have people around us, you know, that are, that are teaching us. It's the YouTube videos now that people are learning different things and how to invest. It's the age of technology that we're able to now have a level you know, a fair level competing almost that, you know, we can jump into things the same as the rest of America, but we're still way behind right. in the race right. on everybody. Right, right. And I'm wondering if the mentality of a lot of Black people is multi-generational wealth. Everybody wants to make their 200,000K, but how do you ensure that your grandchildren can do the same thing? And that's a mentality that long-term planning because of our history is not something we can afford. We have to, we're surviving today. We're, we're making yeah. sure we don't get killed while driving today, not worrying yeah. about how do I set up a fund? What do I do with my Charles? What do I set up a Charles Schwab account that only funds my grandson's education? Do we do that? Mm -hmm. We think about that. So there's a lot of there's a lot for us to think about. Yeah, I agree. There's actually I, I had I spoke with a business owner yesterday, right? And he was telling me that he came into some money and he purchased two licenses for franchises, a black owned, a black uh, a black man. And so now with that, he was able to do that coming to that money because he actually went through a divorce with his wife. They end up selling the house. He came into a little lump sum. And so he purchased two $15,000 licenses to um, open. He opened two, uh, he purchased two licenses for a re like a restaurant franchise, right? And now, but he also now had 3K left in his savings. But what does he need? He needs 500,000 in order to build out the franchise. Wow. And so it's, it's like, 
it's, you know, damn if you do, damn if you don't a little bit. So it's like, you know, he jumped in, you know, kind of like head first and the, he doesn't, he needs my help in order to get him the rest of the way, which I do believe I'll be able to assist him. But that's kind of with black individuals, one, they don't always have the resources to get that initial investment to do something. Or the help or the tutoring to understand what they're doing. Yes. To talk to you before he spent exactly. the fifteen k, yes. <laughs> you know, to exactly. go to a financial coach, yeah. you know, mentor to before you spend the fifteen k, it's it's yep. it's understanding how the mechanism here works, and we're not taught it young or multi generationally. After Tulsa, there wasn't anybody who said, "Okay, this is how we did it." Okay. Yes. And you keep doing it here in Harlem yeah. or you keep doing it in Watts or you keep doing it in Baltimore. This is how we did it. it yeah. There was so much trauma after Tulsa, mm-hmm. or you go from 130 banks that are black owned in the 1880s to now where there's like a handful, but there's nobody teaching it from generation to generation. This is how we did it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, and the, the thing about that, you know, Joya is, where before, no, like in before the age of technology, before the internet, no, we didn't have anyone, you know, teaching us. And now the age of the internet, there's a million people teaching you. You have no idea which is accurate, yeah, where exactly. to go, what, you know, what advice to follow. And so I, I had, um, I had a business. Well, a young entrepreneur reached out to me, and she wanted to open a laundromat, set up her LLC, and she's like, all right, now I need funding. And I'm like, okay, great. What experience do you have in the laundromat, you know, industry? Nothing none. Right. And it was like, well, who do you, who do you turn to? Who did she's like, well, nobody, like, I don't know. Like, I'm just, I'm going, can I get a loan? Like you are trying to fail, like, you know, <laughs> you can't just yeah. go out and get a loan and you don't know anything about the industry that you're right. trying you to have no into. resume in that at all. Yes. But she found this out on TikTok. So she's like, all right, you know, like, well, I saw the idea on TikTok and that's not the first time I, I heard someone reach out to me and say, well, I saw this business idea on TikTok. And I'm like, okay, great guys. Amazing. Right. But you can't just jump into everything you see on TikTok. So it's like, you know, the overloading of information is also harmful for us too. Yeah. Yeah. Portia Brooks, I am so happy you joined us here on Unshackled Leadership. This has been a wealth of wonderful information. I thank you so very much. So, but before you go, if there's one piece of advice you would give the listeners that maybe summed up what we talked about or something you really want to say to an audience of people about getting a bank loan, what would you say? Well, I would tell individuals, I mean, the biggest thing you're probably, you you want to reach out to me. That's like, I mean, I, that sounds you know, that can sound one thing. On all of Portia's information is in the description. Yes. And reason being is because I can tell you to make sure that you have a certain credit score, but not all banks take the credit score, you know, the same credit score. I could tell you to have a certain amount of money in the bank, but not all banks have the same requirements. Everybody has a story. Everyone has something that's particular to them. And everyone's, you know, every bank has different factors that matter to them. It really is about if you want something, being able to go to that resource that can get it for you. Don't try to do everything for yourself, right? And that goes for just anything in life. If you have an expert that can guide you, 
most likely take that expert's, you know, advice um, as long as it's trustworthy and you have done your research. So with us, you can do your research on us. But at the same time, when you have that conversation with me, I'm going to let you know your options. You don't have to jump into anything. The idea is just to let you know what exists for you. That's excellent. Excellent. Thank you very much, Portia, for joining us. She is the founder and CEO of Len Pick, and she's an expert on how you're going to get a bank loan, which is the fundamental foundation for the rest of your dreams. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Unshackled Leadership, Unlantern for Black Women. I hope you were inspired to make a change in your life. I want to acknowledge the outstanding work of my sound engineer, Chris Downing, of Dream Life Media Group, graphic designer, Dominica Eldridge of Unique Creatives, and Victoria Cook of Next Level Marketing. Our theme music is called Morning Thoughts. It is composed and performed by Hotham of HothamMusic.com and we found it on SoundCloud. I'm Joya Jefferson-Nuri. I hope you will join me again. Mm -hmm.